Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast for the greatest horror anthology of our generation. Tales from the Crypt sells out. We've gone Hollywood in a big way. With me, as always, is my sister from the exact same mother, Mary Johnston. So here we are. We're breaking this new is ground. Our first special bonus movie episode. That's right. Did you know there were Tales from the Crypt movies? Of, of, yeah, I've seen them before. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I am aware. Did you know there are movies? There are movies? <laughs> movies? Yeah. I've Filmed seen... entertainment. I yeah, have... there's, there's a couple of tales from the Crypt pictures. No big deal. Just some pictures. Just, you know. Films. Yeah. No, I know that the Crypt Keeper has placed his oddly large, elongated feet into uh, the sidewalk outside of the Chinese theater. I know. Yeah. Of course. His little, little leathery Muppet hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pressed them into wet cement. People so, cheered. So, right. There are two official movies. One unofficial official movie and multiple unofficial unofficial movies well to be fair of any franchise there are usually many 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 unofficial movies <laughs> you know everything like, is secretly unofficial series you know like like the hunger games they're not they're not officially a star wars movie but you know you know how that goes I, to I totally know how that goes yeah. yeah everything is either like star trek or star wars or a marvel movie you know how everything's the matrix Except yeah. for Shakespeare. Yeah. How, yeah. like, Last Tango in Paris is actually a lost uh, Star Trek episode. Yeah, I know. I know yeah. what you're talking about exactly. Well, and that's, and that's really quite interesting because, obviously, Last Tango in Paris is a lost Tennessee Williams play, which means that Gene Roddenberry wrote Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Well, I, I, I subscribe to the philosophy with there. In fact, the same person. Interesting. Interesting. See, it's like how like Flannery O'Connor and George Lucas are actually the same person. They're 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 both the Duke of Buckingham, right? Isn't that they're both? <laughs> I think they're all both Francis Bacon. Yeah, they're both Francis Bacon. Well, all uh, really, all authors who are not the Wachowski siblings are are Francis Bacon. <laughs> well, you know, because that's like the six degrees of Kevin. Ba of, uh, this is six degrees of Francis Bacon. How everybody <laughs> is at least a sixth <laughs> of Francis Bacon at any one given time. No, it's actually just one degree, though. It's just like, and this was written by this was written by George Lucas, who was actually Francis Bacon. Yeah, that's only because Boom, he was one that, degree. That's gone. because he was Did holding it. the six keys of Francis Bacon simultaneously before God scattered them. I guess. Yeah, we're getting we're getting a little we're getting, we're get it we're we are moving forward too much. Too we're just much, free. Too fast. We're just wildly free associating. <laughs> Dear listeners, today we're here to talk. And riff about Demon Knight, the first official Tales from the Crypt movie. Yes, the Crypt Keeper went to Hollywood, uh, as as was inevitable. As as Cecil B. DeMille, right? Zemeckis, Donner, Hill, and Silver returned to their roots and decided to make the Crypt Keeper sing on celluloid. So, Demon Knight was the first movie that was not always the plan. There was a plan for three movies, um, and things that uh, scripts were sort of piled up and burned uh demon knight was supposed to be the second movie but was really the first one to actually get made it was moderately successful and so then bordello of blood the second tales from the crypt movie was made which was not successful well i'm confused so here's where my confusion comes in and i'm sure it could be looked up but my cursory glance did not clarify did this come out in the theater Yes, this this received a theatrical release. Um, and Bordello of Blood did too. Um, the plan was for them to be released on Scary Weekends. So I think, if I'm correct, Demon Knight came out on Friday the 13th. Sure. I think Bordello of Blood was supposed to be released on Halloween and that didn't go down. But I think Demon Knight came out on Friday the 13th. 
there were plans for a third voodoo-themed episode or uh, uh, movie, which generally was supposed to be called The Big Easy, um, and it never got made. But there is a voodoo movie called The Ritual with uh, with your favorite Tim Curry in it, which has retroactively been made a Tales from the Crypt movie and is sort of the unofficial official. Um, but I, I wonder what the scary date was going to be for the third movie since I'm like Friday the 13th, easy, Halloween, easy. I and mean, it was also... obviously going to be Fat Tuesday. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Maybe, but that's not traditionally scary, though. No, it's not, but it is traditionally when that movie would take place. Sure, sure. Wait, so are you positing that these things are supposed to take place when they're being released? Because what doesn't happen over over uh, Halloween? If BC's a caveman, how does he celebrate <laughs> Ash Wednesday? But anyway, anyway, so the interestingly enough, the official movies were not based on any of the comics and were were just sort of free floating scripts that the various mega producers um, who were associated with Tales from the Crypt uh, liked and thought sort of reflected the values of the franchise and so sort of uh, made and then pasted the Crypt Keeper on top of it. There were also some uh, unofficial affiliated movies like Death Becomes Her, um, The Frighteners, Dusk Till Dawn, um, which were either offered as possible movies or grew out of episodes that were pitched, sort of a script that kind of took on a life of its own and then was made into its own movie. I, what Mary and I have decided to do is in between seasons, we will pick out a movie or two and discuss it. And um, we're going to start with the officials and we will move to the unofficials. Um, that's the plan. But as we, is our as is our want. As is our want and way, and in our whim, because it's our prerogative. Right. If we change right. our minds, um, although we won't about either of the officials, because we're mm-hmm. doing this one now, and Bordello of Blood must be spoken on. Yeah, Oof, I watched it today. How? Mm. Well, I don't want to ask you anything. Dennis about Miller. It. I mean, he, he's a, he's a man. He he's a comedian out of time. His comedy will never grow stale or old. So, despite sort of this this dry intro, you wanna you wanna dive right into this one, Mary? I do. Ba 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 television show that has been adapted for Hollywood and you can tell that all the costumes look a little bit better and I think that we just had a little bit of extra Hollywood shine there. I just think the budget the budget for this episode is quite a bit higher than others. Well that's because I brought in John Williams to do my haunting. <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> with my with my with my extra big Hollywood buckaroos. Um it- <laughs> so only, let me give if you Pentatonics ever want to stop releasing Christmas albums, and instead come on and do the Tales from the Crypt uh, theme song. We'd be more than happy, guys. Guys, friends of the show. Yeah. See, I'm being I'm being Hollywood by just being by just sucking up to, to famous people. Yeah. And now Frank Oz is going to read Ernest Hemingway describing the plot. Crypt Keeper shoes for sale, never worn. Um, doesn't walk. He doesn't need them. All right. Bill Sadler back again from the first episode, is now portraying Frank Breaker, who protects a divine key that unlocks the powers of the cosmos. And he is being endlessly pursued by Billy Zane as the Collector, a demon who wants a turn at playing God. 
On a dark and stormy night, these two come toe-to-toe in a rundown boarding house full of seven small-town criminals, lowlives, and otherwise rejected souls. Breaker and his unlikely crew of misfits manage to batten down the hatches to keep the collector at bay, but they've got a long slog ahead of them because only one of them will make it out of this demon night. Bum, 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 bum. So this ep- this episode, see, it- it's funny, Mary, I feel like with the actual episodes, we keep calling them movies, and now with the movie, I'm like, We this constantly insist that the episodes are movies, and now we're going to vehemently deny the moviedom of this of this movie if we ever become big enough podcasting big shots that there are bingos made of things we say uh misidentifying the type of media (laughs) will be a space (laughs) this uh so this this movie was directed by ernest r dickerson this is a uh um, gentleman who um has directed who really broke through as director with juice um he also did bones the snoop dogg horror movie um, and he's done a lot not the of thing, TV. Not the thing with Angel from Buffy. No, no, no. Which no. looks frankly terrible. But but speaking of TV, he's done a bunch of excellent episodes of TV. He's done a bunch of episodes of Dexter, The Wire, Treme, Walking Dead, Man in the High Castle. And he's working on um, the Purge series, which I have not seen, but I love the Purge. So I'll be I am there for it. He also um, does, is a cinematographer who frequently collaborates with Spike Lee. So he's, he's so he's he's a cool guy. Um and is an eminent African-American filmmaker and I think pulled some strings with this to um, uh, kind of adjust the casting a little bit, which was cool. Um, the writers of this are um, Ethan Reef and Cyrus Voris, who were writing, who are writing partners. They worked together on Bulletproof Monk, which was indeed one of the worst movies I've ever seen in the theater more than once. And they also <laughs> did Robin Hood, the one with Russell Crowe. <laughs> and then also Mark Bishop also worked on this. Um, who is someone whose only other writing credit was for something called Beat the Cyborgs. Great. Anyway, the story with what this... What could go wrong? I, I, th- I think it's more fun to talk about the episode, but just the, briefly. The story behind this episode is that apparently this is in a script that had been flying around for like years and years and years and years and years and, years and really predated the, um, the actual Tales from the Crypt TV show. And it was sort of bought and decided to be put in production because it had the right mix of gore and humor that they thought would be kind of a good fit for the Tales from the Crypt uh, franchise. Despite not being based on comics, despite not having um, hookers or axe death or electrocution or any sort of like lesson at the end, it was it was felt to be a good fit. Also, don't worry, because you can jam all those things into, like, a completely unrelated interstitial uh, intro in the beginning. So you, you get to hit all the high marks. Oh, man, I want to talk about that so bad. I love I love the, like, little meta Tales from the Crypt episode that happens at the beginning of this. The The cast here is, 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 is utterly stacked. Basically, they have a, a literal murderer's row of character actors and actresses here. You have Billy Zane as the collector. Yes, the Phantom himself is in this this movie. And he is acting his ass off. Sorry, mom. And he he's there is no scenery unchewed by him. He is this movie. Period. Spoilers. Bill Sadler, Breaker. Nothing more to say. Jada Pinkett. <laughs> Nothing not more to yet, say. Not yet, Smith. She she actually meets her future famous husband this year uh, while auditioning for Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, the studio originally wanted to cast Cameron Diaz in this role, and uh, Dickerson actually went to bat for her, and um, 
I think I, I, can you imagine Cameron Diaz doing doing this role? No, I can't. I'm, wait, hold on. Run that one by me one more time. Yeah, the studio wanted to do Cameron Diaz as Geraldine or That's Geraldine or absolutely insane. I'm also imagining it's going to be Cameron Diaz, a la the sweetest thing. Yeah, I mean, right, right. Um, there's um, ooh, I may I may mispronounce her name, and apologies. I think it's Brenda. Bakke, B-A-K-K-E, is Cordelia. She um, seems, to, she's in, she is perhaps the least famous of the other people in this movie. She was in L.A. Confidential as another woman of the evening um, and also was in Hot Shots Part 2. Um, CCH Pounder, um, who is a character actress who you see all over the place, um, plays Irene. Um, my fun trivia there is the CCH stands for Carol Christine Hilaria. Um, Dick Miller, who is probably the definition of beloved character actor is Uncle Will, Uncle Willie the Drunk, Thomas Hayden Church is Roach. Um, he was this was his first role after being in Tombstone. Gary Farmer is Deputy Bob Martell. Gary Farmer is a um, uh, Native American actor. He was nobody in Dead Man, and then kind of reprises the role of nobody in Ghost Dog, um, and and is sort of and is somewhat prominent in terms of being a Native American activist, which is cool. Um, and then uh, rounding it out, Charles Fleischner is Wally Enfield, the sad sack post office uh, worker. He is, of course, Roger Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's also in Nightmare on Elm Street and Zodiac. Uh, so th- th- this, this, movie, this movie is stacked. And really, the director, I think, realizes that if you just kind of let the actors go, th- they're, they're going to put on a pretty good show. Yeah, I think that the actors definitely do a lot of the heavy lifting in this because um... – you get a really good sense of who they are without them necessarily telling you anything about them in their narrative, just by the way that they are dressed and act and interact with each other, which I think is really appropriate um, because basically this is set up as a, a siege film of the horror variety. And Definitely. those generally operate really well on having um, on having sort of a ensemble cast of a bunch of different um bunch of different archetypes all kind of clattering around in a space um that and they're forced to draw together because of the um appending the the, uh you know looming and threatening forces outside their walls yeah definitely definitely the the, the sort of the horror movie equivalent of a bottle episode at, at its most pure maybe yeah so um, I think it's weird to see the regular. So what threw me is I thought this had a theatrical release, but then when I saw the regular, like regular style Tales from the Crypt o- opener at the beginning, yeah. it really threw me. That must have been very strange to see in theaters. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And if I recall correctly, am I wrong? Um, we actually start with, uh, d- does it open up with the going through the house and the Tales from the Crypt? Or does it op- have sort of a cold open that is the the it, directed sequence? Nope, it opens with the uh, with the going through the house, and then it goes to the directed sequence. I got you. Yeah, and it feels weird because you don't you don't get the the crypt keeper interstitial, and you're like, what? Well, it goes to the directed sequence. I mean, it's it's okay. What's weird about it is generally the yeah you, the yeah you it's the, yes. The interstitial has something to do with the episode itself, and this one doesn't at all. It's just celebrating the fact that they're going to Hollywood. So it sort of feels like the Crypt Creeper, the Crypt Keeper, like that could have been used for any of the movies, and they shot it first, and then they just dropped it into this one because this was the first movie. So 
I I do love. Okay, so the way this opens up is you see a you see a woman wearing her underpants, <laughs> wearing lingerie, laying in bed, talking on the phone, and she has isn't she she has a little bit of blood on her or something, and she's speaking erotically like you know I killed him and it felt so good, you know it this really it the the little inter the little interstitial uh, intro that you see is is Tales for the Crypt doing like a parody of what the show is famous for. Uh, so it's, it's a woman rolling around in lingerie talking about murdering her husband. She then takes her top off and is topless in the bathtub while her husband, who is supposed to be dissolving in a vat of acid or something in the basement, crawls out, seizes an axe and gets and gets set to, you know, hit her because she's she's got her eyes closed in the bathtub. At which hit point, her with the axe. Yeah, right. Axe death. Hit right with an axe. And then um, at, at which point the crypt keeper calls cut and he is dressed like a Cecil B. DeMille style movie producer. Jodhpurs. Yep. Riding crop. We get some great puns. Gory Cooper, Robert Dedford. Yeah. I mean, I do I do feel like what's weird about this intro is it feels the more more like what people I think think the crypt like Tales from the Crypt is gonna yeah. be like versus yes. what they actually are like. It's just like this kind of this like woman writhing around in like hilarious, hilariously 90s underpants and then like getting into a, a, a bathtub, gratuitous boob shot. She's a gold digger. She's just killed her husband. Her melty right. husband comes up. There's lots of gore. His fingers stick to the railing as he like yeah. kind of trundles up the stairs. I don't know. She it's, describes it's, murder as making her feel hot and squishy. Ugh. I know. Um, I don't know. And then, and then we get, and then we get treated to a rare walking uh, crypt creeper, which I, which crypt keeper, which I never prefer. I okay, like him so, to stay so, in one spot. So, do you know how they did this? I read about this. I mean, I assume that it is a person in a mask that has all the electronics in it that makes him move normally, the puppetry, and then yeah, it's actually, just like it's just like a, a short stuntman. Yeah, it's it 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 is a person, but they green screen the crypt keeper's face onto the body and you can kind of tell it's sort of too bad it's, it, it, he looks weird he's kind of weird and hunchy and then after after the walking scene you see him back being the normal puppet self kind of walking along muppet style sort of chest high and you're like oh back to normal this is great mm-hmm. <laughs> we also because we have been uh, uh in the enjoying the first season thus far um it is neat to see how how much better the puppet is yeah, it's startling. And actually, now that you told me that his eyes are Chucky's eyes, I can really tell that because it yeah. is better. Maybe the film yeah. stock's a little bit better, too. Yeah, it could be. So he basically is just like, we're going to Hollywood. And then immediately- I'm selling out. It's basically it's basically the introduction that we did to this episode, but it's Tales from the Crypt. We sold, <laughs> out, the Crypt by, we sold out by using their intro for the thing that they sold out on. I like it. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then it then it cuts to uh, Bill Sla- Sadler listening to some truly terrible heavy metal, truly yeah. terrible. Oh, um, uh, also, did you note um, the way this is introduced? The way the the, the credits that run it runs exact. It, this is exactly like an episode. It doesn't look different at all. It's yeah, the same no font. Like, it looks. Yep, it's it's yeah. really weird. That's when I was like, is this was this just because HBO? Right, you could call an HBO like. Original yeah, HBO, movie. HBO definitely did original movies. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe this is just was on HBO, in which case that makes total sense. It's sort of more like a special than no, it is this, a movie. But this no, must have been bizarre yeah, to movies, see in theaters. Yeah, both of these movies were kind of big theatrical release. I remember the posters being in Blockbuster like forever. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So uh, and it's a uh, Bill Sadler uh, driving, being pursued by Billy Zane, and there's this like fantastic car crash with like lots of explosions. These cars, the he, these cars. Bill must- Sadler fires a lever action rifle out of the window. It's real badass. It looks like something out of Supernatural. Like I think that this um, this movie kind of along with uh, maybe something like um, Dusk Till Dawn and Supernatural belongs to that Drive Angry maybe that weird genre that's like supernatural guys with muscle cars it's vaguely western <laughs> yeah for sure uh, they're like in a desert but the explosions imply that both of these back seats just have or both of these they're cars just, just have full of, full of gasoline full just like sloshing around willy-nilly back there they have like a and kiddie bi- pool of explosives and gasoline back there yep. billy zane is definitely wearing like a duster and a cowboy hat and it's billy zane our perfectly smooth round Beatific boy. <laughs> I was re- I did really marvel at his bald head many yeah, times during this. He he is a he is a completely completely <laughs> he's a frictionless individual. He's cr- has a chrome dome like like the, the legs which you don't rarely see on uh, people who aren't babies. It's very right. impressive, very impressive. Right. Um, so we get this we get this nice big practical effect, big fiery car crash. It's great, big fireball, and. Uh, and that, that that pretty much takes care of the credits. Um, and then we see Bill Sadler flee the scene. He uh, he attempts to pick the lock of a car with a butterfly knife, which good for him. Um, a kid comes out and busts him, and he says, he says like, "Are you trying to steal my daddy's car?" And he says, "Hey, Mister, no. you trying to steal my daddy's car? Who is Danny's daddy?" He is the guy who owns the diner that Roach is the cook in. Ah, so 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 Danny gets to see Roach smoke his father. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> that that maybe needed some. Uh... No wonder he turns evil later. Spoilers, but I do <sighs> like that he says tells the kid he's testing the lock and then offers him a shiny new quarter, which is hilarious because right, it's 1995 at this point. So like a shiny new quarter, but also then you realize that you know Breaker is you know over a hundred years old, so maybe he's offering him a small fortune. Do you think Breaker gets confused about, like, time and what things are worth and, like, old-timey things? I mean, given the fact that I, that I this week, was like, I just don't get Ariana Grande. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I was like, thank you, next. I mean, it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah. No, I, I although I would like to point of order, if you had a shiny new quarter, you could for sure get a super big bouncy ball from Old Navy. And tech vests are only going to get more popular. So yeah. it's really right. an investment. It's an investment this, in joy forever. This this non-specific desert community they're in though doesn't exactly seem like an old navy kind of place. They have a strip mall. I promise you. There is a place okay. that they, yeah. For I mean, sure. as far as I can tell, the entire economy here is like a gas station and maybe a diner and then a creepy old motel boarding a creepy old hotel that they keep calling a motel that's in a the biggest Spanish mission church style building you've ever seen. And the inside of it looks like the bronze from Buffy. Right. Um, yes. It's a very strange. It's a strange set. But yeah. it's a great set for a siege film because it has multiple levels. There right, are lots like of religious iconography. Yeah, there's like yeah, a million little hidey holes that they can that they can um, come in and out of. And we talked about siege films, so I will quickly define it. This is basically any film in which a uh, group of people is trapped in some sort of constricted setting. A basement. A house. Sure. A boat. Um, with, uh, some, like with someone or some things outside 
um, that space kind of hovering around the perimeter, threatening their lives um, and generally the safety of the continuation of the human race in general. Um, it's often yeah. sort of a mixture. It's usually, I would say, most most of the time it falls under the category of action, but then it has crossovers. Like, The Mist is definitely another siege mm-hmm. horror movie. Most zombie movies are siege horror movies. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead, um, Assault on yeah. Precinct 13. They're, of um, course... The, the, a- the first Purge movie. Not the first Purge, but, like, the Purge one. <laughs> of course, there are millions of war movies that fall into this category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> what? I mean, I set up a bit. You're like, what's your favorite siege movie? Oh, um, Letters from Iwo Jima. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is my favorite siege movie. What? Uh, you know, actually, no. You know what actually is my favorite siege movie? Maximum Overdrive. Oh, yeah. Maximum oh, that's Overdrive a good, yeah. is like the siegiest of siege movies that has ever been. So siege films are see, the siege genre has been explored effectively on the smaller screen many times. The Twilight Zone, with its tiny budget, mm-hmm. plays with this all the time. But I really like this. Like I couldn't imagine this being an episode of Tales from the Crypt because twenty minutes is tight to do this yeah. kind of story. It's really better to like have everyone have lots of space to give time for the characters who are thrown together by circumstance and misfortune to to be explored a little bit and kind of like get their own little like vignettes going mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah i mean every, all the characters get more of an arc here like it, you could probably boil this down into a 20 minute episode but it would it, it, it would be a different kind of movie it would take a lot of the story yeah it would at least take a lot of the what i think is the most enjoyable part of this movie uh down a notch or two <laughs> You also wouldn't have the thing where Breaker doesn't tell anybody what's going on for about half the movie. I know. I actually, I looked at that too. I was like, wait, how long has this movie been going on before he's like, look, this is Jesus's blood in this no, key. It's here's, it's here's, exactly halfway through the movie. It, or it's a little bit more past the halfway point. It's like a, like a minute, minute 49. I do like 41 that. to go. That, 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 that in the middle of the movie, they're like, look, no, you have to tell us what's going on. And he's like, do you want to know? Do you really want to know? In the beginning, God created light. <laughs> it's and he's think, and it's compl- it's played completely straight. It's not. It's 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 the serious version of the you know. Well, tell me about you and you're like, Well, my parents met on a blind date. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's let very... me start with the beginning of all things cosmic. Well, <laughs> the Homo sapiens descended from the trees in right. I think we should go through and just do a, like a quick roll call of all the characters um, that are at all important in this story um, and get a little background on who they are and what happens to them over the course of this film. I think that's great. Um, I think that uh, should we do it maybe as far as we can remember roughly chronological order that Breaker meets them? That would put sure. Uncle Willie up first. He's, again, beloved character actor Dick Miller. If you don't th- think you know who Dick Miller is, you do. You've seen him in movies. Um, but he's lovable drunk. He's the uh, he's the cranky drunk neighbor in uh, the first Gremlins movie too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's all over the place. Um, not not commonly a leading man, although he was a leading man in the um, ex- the beatnik exploitation movie Bucket of Blood, which is pretty great. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, Breaker runs into like the classic town drunk, offers a, who offers him a pull of his cheap booze. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that's a thing. If so, we should give that person like a key to the city and be like, 
you're like the welcome wagon for 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 refuse people for drifters drifters yeah. and criminals yeah there's a there's, there's a thunderstorm happening i do like the line god's doing some serious thinking maybe he's thinking should have given it back to the monkeys yeah i did like that part too <laughs> uncle willie's a great town drunk yeah um we find out later that uncle willie actually owns the mines that or at one time owned the mines under the city which is which is weird that's it reminds me a little bit of um in the chilling tales of sabrina where it turns out that uh harvey's very blue collar miner dad's family owns the mines that they work in i i i don't know maybe it's just maybe, maybe it's, it's just maybe it's maybe it's the kentucky in me but like the people who own mines are like big shots with cigars and the like and the like true proletarian blue collar heroes who work and die and get black lung they, they don't own anything yeah, they don't own the mines. No, the people who own the mines are hanging out with the guys who own the trains. They right, all are yeah, chomping on the exactly. same, like, brat-sized cigar. Right, well, not yeah. the same one. They have each of their own. That's how rich they are. They all have, like, perfectly smooth bald heads and soft hands, rather like our perfectly smooth boy, Billy Zane, <laughs> the collector. <laughs> did, did you have some sort of awakening during this uh, during this viewing, Thomas? I'm just saying... Billy Zane is is, is is Billy Zane is the first three great things about this movie, but it we'll is, get there. We'll get there. Who does we'll he meet there. next? He's not great yet. He meets Irene so next, next. Yeah. Yes. Um. So Irene is the no nonsense runner of this boarding house. Um. She is a uh, formidable black lady who doesn't take who doesn't take guff from anybody. See, so she's um, CCH Pounder. Like. Yes. That's that's who she is. She yeah, is she's playing... got she, she's she's smoking like a little cigarillo for most of the movie. She plays the same character that CCH Pounder plays every time she's in anything. So she runs this 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 boarding house hotel that they keep calling a motel. But what it is is it's a big, it's a huge sort of mission style structure. It doesn't. I don't think the structure looks good. The out exterior shots. It looks very fake. It's just a big square building that kind of looks like it's pretend Adobe maybe, and. Um, uh, anyway, she tells, um, uh, uh, Bill Sadler or Breaker when he goes in that she has no short term rental and she doesn't rent to strangers, which does make you wonder why Uncle Willie brought him here as a place to crash. Yeah. It's a strange policy for, for a, for a motel. Well, for a boarding house, I don't think it's that strange. Like, I think she's just basically like, I'm not going to take just anyone off the street, Willie. And then the guy's like, I can pay money. And she's like, yes, I will take our money. Oh, you do have money. Well, it's still weird. <laughs> it is weird. I mean, maybe it's just like, don't take any recommendation Uncle Willie gives you as like super serious. Yeah. But she's formidable. She is she is she is a hero. She is a moral center for the for the show. Um, she loses her arm she sacrifices her arm in, in in the pursuit of saving the world and then turns down the demonic offer of having it restored and she uh, and she dies a hero so she, she she's a pretty great character we also have two cops we have deputy bob and the chief who are like classic horror movie kind of small town cops who come across the fiery remains of the car crash and you get the sense that Bob is that obviously, as is always the case, Deputy Bob is the dumb one. Um, but the chief has a great line where they're looking over the wreckage and they're like, and they say, you know, it's going over a hundred miles an hour, Maryland and New Jersey plates. And um, the chief, uh, when Bob says that, you know, that would be, they were they were really breaking the speed limit. The chief says it's too late to give him a ticket, but if it makes you feel better, 
you could, we could scrape together their ashes and you could shoot them. <laughs> I did like that line a lot. Um, so they so so they're sort of poking around in sort of a parallel story, and they're looking at this fiery car crash. And Billy Zane, who again is dressed like a like a cowboy, but not like a rootin' tootin' cowboy, like a cool '90s like drifter. He really he looks like a bounty hunter or like a fed or something like that. He's got the cowboy hat and a duster, and he's got this case, and he just sort of wa- like casually walks out of this wreckage and makes some quip about airbags um, and basically tells these cops that he was chasing a thief and they need to help him find the thief. Um, I, I was kind of expecting him to like pull out some sort of phony badge or something, but the cops just seem to be like, well, I mean, this seems very normal. Let's find the thief. Hop in our squad car. Well, to be fair, he is wearing the most authoritative outfit one can wear in the desert, which is a cowboy hat. That's true. That's true. That's true. And it's not and made he, out of straw. And so we, we keep alluding to this, but Billy Zane's performance is, is scenery chewing, but also very, very funny and kind of wisecracky in a, in a, in a strange way that you don't see a lot. And you, he's not in full glory here, but you, you start to sort of see it with his, with his little asides about, you know, oh, what airbags can do these days. He's very, it's, it's just strange. It's, I've never seen anything quite like this. Yeah. It's very courtly is the word I kept coming back to. Like it's definitely, you can tell, and it's a good choice, I think, because you're supposed to know, you already at the viewer know that this guy is not who he says he is. And you get the sense that sort of everybody senses that. So to give him an like a, a an attitude that is an affectation is really smart at this mm-hmm. point. And he really plays it up well. He's just like always a little bit more like formal and in control versus everyone else in the scene, which is probably how a, you know, a, a, a top level that's, that's, that's demon you think, you think would demon, feel. You think demons are? You think he's top level, by the way? Yeah, I mean, he talks about, he says that his his eyes don't get, if he gets oh, hurt in the eyes. Oh, low-level demons. Right, but he also talks about getting a promotion. I like to imagine that, that he's like, he's like Fine. a middle, middle management, management Middle management demon, right? Middle management demon. <laughs> I know, who makes up all these rules? Exactly. Um, but I like I like his smooth, courtly, manipulative style. It it makes sense. Right, and then, but it's also, but, but, but he's also like goofy and cartoony too. Like it's, oh, yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. But that all together is quite sinister. To mm-hmm. see how how like low stakes this is to him, and how like at at most he seems sort of exacerbated by by their attempts to keep him out makes him very scary, actually. Mm-hmm. Since you know everyone else is sort of freaking out. Yeah. The next person we meet is Cordelia. She's a a classic sort of hooker with a heart of gold and she is very openly um uh, uh rustling up business in the She's lobby very of this boarding a, house a sex this boarding worker. house which apparently has no doesn't doesn't really let strangers in um well she, they don't she, let strangers stay there they know who cordelia is what i thought yeah. was funny is it's a boarding house where they do your laundry yeah well they also and they also serve food too it's sort of sort of odd but yes, they, they make a joke about how her sheets are stained and you're supposed to kind of like, no. But it also, th- this movie does a thing that I think is fairly common with like a sort of PG-13 take on like sex and sex work where they, they don't really want to like, yeah, like talk about it or deal with it. But they do want to kind of like make some camp fun out of it. So they talk about her stained sheets and they're like, yeah, it's going to take a lot of work. And you're like, oh, yeah, we know about that. And then she's just as like, damn guacamole, which... 
I want to ask, do you think it's so are you do you think that the guacamole is tied to the sex? Is she having nacho sex or do you think that that, that, that it's supposed to be like a like a red herring? I think it's supposed to be nacho sex. I do. That's what I think so too. Yeah. And you know, so it's that it's that goofy thing where like instead of like just talking about sex or that she's a sex worker or something, you know, um, you know, they have like, to make it like, real perverted because that's yeah, why yeah, someone like, like lots of like, yeah. like we see her, we see her shocking a man's nipples with a car battery and she talks about wearing edible panties and like, you know, it's the classic thing where it's like if you see a riding crop in a movie like Oh, you know, we all know what that means. Kind of. You mean it, it means that the that's the not great. That means that the crypt creeper is about to show up. The crypt keeper is about to show up and uh, direct a, a scene. Shame some man about his ability to act. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's like yeah. The only thing, the only thing a sex worker do would be the most depraved sexual acts but, in the but world. But I feel like it's not. I feel like it's not judged. But I feel like it's not even like judged. Like this is super depraved. It's just like it's 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 almost like you make it cartoony and then you don't have to like you don't have to well, take right. it seriously. But also, it's hard for it to be explicit because it's just kind of weird. Yeah, no, 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 no. Of course, it's not like depraved in a way that would make people like honestly shocked. It's just like yeah. the a, a kind of sex they're basically sure no one in the theater regularly engages in, or even possibly would enjoy. Or and certainly by the standards of the 1990s, certainly. I mean, now I mean everything's avocado toast. So yeah, probably guacamole sex is like very common now for millennials. Yeah, yeah. That's why none of us can afford houses because we're too busy right. smearing guacamole all over our bed. Yeah, yeah, boomers like us don't get it, but yeah, you're right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Cordelia. We then meet. We we get Wally. So Wally. Wally is a is a, is like a classic sort of twitchy, sad sack. He's nebbish. Employee. He's in love. He's clearly in love with Cordelia from like the very beginning. And he's like whining about being fired for not being assertive, or because mail has gone missing. And uh, you know, he he offers to put the sheet. Or Cordelia's sheets are clean, and they need to go on her bed. Uh, but everybody's too busy to do it. And he's like, "I'll put them on for you, Cordelia." So he's exactly that kind of guy. Nebbish. Um, he's like in, he's like if, the if, main. If he, if he was around now, he'd be wearing a fedora and like griping about being friend zoned and you know <laughs> red pilled and black pilled. Um, I think he's definitely um a a Seymour, as oh, yeah. in of the suddenly mm-hmm. variety. Yeah, yeah, a little shop of horror. Yeah, yeah, he's like a little nebbish man who like is in love with kind of a kind of a wild woman. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, yeah, will do anything for her and sees her in a totally different light than everybody else does. Which yeah, is weird. Ha- which is weird that that is a uh, trope. <laughs> That's a very specific trope. They have Thomas Hayden Church as Roach, who is like the designated you, from the very beginning. You know that he's going to be like the, the ass, the bad guy. His clothing confuses me, though. He's wearing like sort of a mesh tank top with a Hawaiian shirt over the top. Of he is absolutely is he is absolutely wearing a white fishnet muscle tank top. Yeah. Yeah. With a with a red hibiscus Hawaiian shirt on top of it and a leather thong necklace. Yeah, he's. He also is. He also shows up to be Cordelia's client, and as they're chasing upstairs, he asks her. He she's, he asks her what kind of panties she's wearing, and she says they're cherry flavor. And then he says, "Are they edible?" And then he says, "I want to put pieces of that on my salad later." And she's and she's laughing like she's super into it. Like you're so bad, Roach. Yeah, it doesn't make a, a damn bit of sense. <laughs> Cher, cherry underpants on a salad, Roach. What's wrong with you? All right. 
mean, you're what, the one who of, said this what wasn't kind of dressing deeply... matches with that yes you're the one who's saying that this is not depraved thomas i don't know now i'm worried we then we, th- we then hear that we then are treated to like sex sounds of them upstairs um which again has that like weird thing where it kind of, where you're like are they are they like are they having a boxing match up there like you know and everybody and, and all the people down below also are like kind of making faces like oh my gosh you know again this sort of weird juvenile treatment of sex but anyway roach is is is, cle- is clearly set up to the bad guy he's shifty he he's bossy he doesn't want to do he doesn't want to play ball with anything um and uh and you know from the very beginning you know that he will tra- he will betray the group and will ultimately you know make the horror manifest classic classic kind of character i realize we haven't really talked about bill sadler's character breaker no who is a cipher and a drifter he's got a knife um he had a lever action rifle and a nice car but those presumably burned up he has a magic tattoo on his hand that are these stars that move around um and he kind of does that thing where he, that, that that they do in some movies like this where if you're a mysterious hero you just kind of like scowl around a lot and act like you might want to like low-key kick everyone's ass <laughs> and that and that and that's sort of his character work for you yeah, that's your character development. I don't yeah. know. He just seems like very extremely haggard. He's he's the absolute yeah. absolute opposite of uh, Billy Zane's performance. Yes, yes. He's Billy like, Zane is Billy Zane is perfectly smooth and shiny. And yeah, and he's like craggy and shaggy, and right. he seems like he hasn't slept in days, and he's taking this all very, very, very seriously. Like he he won't even he won't even like trade a barb or a wisecrack he is not the iron man of this group no not at all not at all and you know what? we buried the lead didn't we you want to do you want to tell us about geraldine or geraldine or geraldine oh yeah the most important uh geraldine the most important jada pinkett um not yet smith not yet smith soon to be smith maybe this is what cinched the deal maybe Probably. will saw this and was like oh no they, they no, they famously met when she auditioned for Fresh Prince Bel Air, oh. but was too short. Oh, Tiger Beat. <laughs> yeah, man. How do you know all this? Um, so, like, I guess Geraldine. I tried to think of what to describe what Geraldine's like role at the boring house, boarding houses, and the oh, thing she's... I arrived at was super, the super of the of the oh, maybe. boarding house. I don't know. I mean. Because she's kind of in charge of making sure that everyone, like, has the stuff they need. So she's sort of, like, she's that. She's, like, kind of managerial. But also she has to, like, clean the stove and do everyone's laundry. Yeah. she's a, So she's a she's an ex-con who's on work release. And basically Irene, CCH Pounder's character, gets the, who, you know, runs this place, basically just bosses her around and she's her gopher. She does everything. She's supposed to be cleaning the stove. She, like, checks Breaker into his room. She's like she she is the other worker that I think she's supposed to make that food that they eat later. Yeah, she cooks dinner too. Yeah, yeah she does everything. She does everything. She does everything. Um, but you know, and, she kind of this. I think she is. This is also like a really good role for her. I thought we got way more backstory about her, but we basically don't know a thing, really, mm-hmm. except that she's an. Except we find out everything that we know for sure within like the first five to ten minutes of knowing her character and then the rest of it you just kind of get from her performance like you can kind of tell she's always been like smart and wants to like escape her situation but now she's kind of like stuck in this town of course because of her criminal record she's you know but also right. like we some inertia she's a, she's a thief there's a there there is i think a theft sort of uh yeah through, oh for sure line in here 
of um, course. But like, there's also some like inertia there. Like, you get the sense she doesn't really think she can leave at any one sure. given time. But there's not yeah. really like a good. It's not like she has a kid. It's not like Irene is her aunt. There's no like. You just so all of those things sort of piled up together. You get the sense that she's sort of a little bit like you feel sorry for her. You want her to do better. You know right. she can do better. She wants you, much more than this provincial life. But you also like her. She because, wants adventure in the Great White somewhere. But you also she wants like, it more than she can tell. Oh my god! But you can tell that she like is a good person. Just like just from the way that she acts in this role. She cares very much about her cat. She has like a loyalty. She honors human life. She mm-hmm. protects Danny when he's when he's in peril. Um, he she cares the most about Irene when Irene gets her arm ripped off. He's like we have to, she's like we have to take a risk so that Irene does not bleed to death. You know, mm-hmm. she yeah. seems to be she seems to be like have the one with the most snap in this. Yeah. Really, yes. even even more so than Breaker, I would say. Um, yeah. She reminded me a lot of um, Ripley from Alien. Mm-hmm. And not just because she stripped down into her underpants for almost absolutely no reason. Yeah, that, that, that part was a little bit weird. But she's like this blue collar woman who's like just trying to get by and then like greatness is thrust upon her. Like, and I think that um, in this movie, too, especially she starts off sort of hostile and closed off. And sort of the character. And it's not like she suddenly, you know, opens up and blossoms or something goofy or terrible like that but i think that she does good sort of low-key character work where you kind of you kind of see her getting more comfortable with breaker and the situation and then you sort of see her become you know uh become the true hero yeah i think one of the nicest parts about this movie too and like what helps especially with um, the character development is that we get some insight at least a little bit into what would motivate these people um, into action uh, that that would be a hard decision for them to make. So the the collector comes to them in sort of these these bargaining possession scenes and offers them things that they want in exchange for him getting for them him them helping him get the key. Mm-hmm. So Geraldine gets one of these for sure. Um, and she kind of gets two, but the one I'm thinking of specifically is her first yeah. one with all the the like giant looks like a, looks sheer like a Janet curtains. Jackson music video. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, so the thing that we think that Geraldine wants the most is opportunity and freedom and potentially the promise of leading a classier life. You know, yeah. like travel and education and that kind of thing, experience. Beyond, beyond little, you know, one one traffic light towns, mm-hmm. which I think also helps you like her more. I think she is more because the things she wants is not necessarily material. It's more about expanding one's horizon. That helps you. That helps you connect some of the dots as to who she is as a person. Kind of, kind of speaking about our perfectly smooth collector cartoon character. Um, so. Um, and we assume that people will watch this so we don't have to slavishly rehash it. But basically what happens is that um, he shows up, he sort of reveals that he's a demon, he punches a hole in the police chief's head, um, and then Breaker kind of push it, pushes, him out, pushes him out of the house, he reveals he's a demon, he summons up some other demons from this great effect where he uses a claw and cuts his hand and green blood comes out and demons rise up. But 
Breaker has this key, this item. It looks like a cross with sort of a little bottle on the bottom of it. And he is able to pour out this blood, which seals the doors with magic energy that in a terrible effect. So he's stuck outside. And so the demons are outside. The people are inside. But the collector can kind of psychically communicate with the people inside and offer them offer them deals uh, in this sort. All of which I think kind of look like different genres of music video. <laughs> um, uh, you want to talk about Geraldine's first? So you kind of you kind of alluded to it. It has this great this great billowy curtain sort of thing. It looks like a it looks like a music video from the time. Um, we see pictures of her in front of the Eiffel Tower. And then you see a pic, there's a big picture of her face, like a big canvas, and you see all these hands pushing out on it. It's a great creepy effect. And, you know, he's uh, it's offering, very much like the devil's advocate. Yeah, he's offering her, he's offering her, you know, success and fame and things like that. But then, but then it kind of turns too, because he is a demon after all. And he's basically like, because, you know, if you don't go along with this, you know, it's going to happen. Everybody's going to die. And, and the, the picture of her starts crying blood, and then the canvas rips. And underneath, you see you see uh, Breaker, you see Bill Sadler, with demons like eating his entrails, um, and then the collector is standing right behind standing right behind her. And you know this is happening inside her mind. This is not like a literal thing that's happening. And he kind of whispers in her ear, and he kind of touches her, and you can tell he's doing like sort of a hack seduction sort of role here a little bit too. Uh, and she and she spits in his face and rejects his advances. The other people he seduces, he seduces Cordelia, um, who uh, has um, been sort of rejected by Roach um, and says things like, whores don't have any friends. And she's crying in her room and Billy Zane is standing outside looking up at her, looking. He looks like he looks like um, Billy Corrigan from Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> looking up at her and whispering, you know, you're such a pretty girl and nobody can see. And she starts crying and you see him kind of twitch his finger and you see her tears wiped wiped away like he's like he's touching her and uh, he offers her love and acceptance and he knows who he knows that inside she's a good person and, and just it, bathes it, her in golden light that's like the right, only right. set it's very, piece she gets it's very um it, it, again it's very it feels, feels to me like an alt like like an, like an alt rock music video a little bit too earnest and soulful um he uh uh, CCH Pounder gets a little mini mini uh, temptation. She is um, she she is ascended to a uh, steeple room, and he just comes up the stairs wearing sunglasses, holding a platter that has what I assume is supposed to be a human arm on it. And he says something like, "I'm Skip. I'm your waiter tonight. Our special is steamed extremity, lightly poached extremity. Yeah, lightly yeah. poached extremity. Market price, of course. <laughs> yeah." And um, he basically says, you know, do we have a deal? And you see her kind of, kind of. She sticks you, out her her stump. Yeah, yeah. At she, him. she sort of tenses her her stump, and he says, "Do we have a deal?" He says, "Does that mean yes?" And she says, oh, yeah. "No, that's me giving you the finger." <laughs> it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And then he sort of disappears down the stairs. It's great. I think um, she kind of Uncle... pushes him down the stairs too. I think <laughs> that she like slams the door or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Willie, um, who had who 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 like really. All he wants to do is find booze. Like that's his. That is his. That's his whole goal. That's his ammo. Um, right. Uncle Willie suddenly finds himself in a, in a sort of like beach party style environment. It's, it's a national lampoon. Yeah, yeah. Like surrounded vacation by, scene brought to life. Right. But surrounded by topless women, 
who are holding bottles of liquor and they're like, "Oh, Uncle Willie, Uncle Willie, do you want a lo- do you want a long hard one?" Yeah. I know we do. And then they sort of part and you see um Billy Zane dressed like he's Hunter Thompson sort of, like he has he has like like, an like a visor and sunglasses. Yeah, like he's he's the bartender. And he's like and he has this like funny New York sort of, "Hey, Uncle Willie, long hard one." And he and so he basically Uncle Willie gets drunk. I felt a little bit weird about this because it is not explicitly clear to me that Uncle Willie knows he's making some sort of deal with the devil when he's possessed. Um, no, I don't think he is either. Yeah, which is which is which is fine, you know. But but it is different from all the other possessions because well, Uncle Willie's just like, Uncle Willie's just a lovable drunk. He doesn't know. He just wants long hard one. It actually implies that he doesn't know that Billy Zane is the bartender. Although of course Billy Zane is the bartender. Yeah. I don't know. He does seem a little like tentative about taking the, the glass. Maybe he does know. I don't know. It's yeah. it's it's neither here nor there. The funny thing about Uncle Willie's fantasy is too that the the long hard one, whatever that whiskey beverage is, um, is definitely like on the knee high shelf at a liquor store. Like oh, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. it's not like they're yeah, carrying yeah, they're around not, they're not fancy bottles. No. They're right, not right. fancy bottles. They're like plastic <laughs> bottles of booze that you would have to stoop to get out. Mm-hmm. Um they're not quite handles, but they would be liquor that would be sold in handles. Uh-huh. For less than thirty dollars a bottle. Yeah, definitely. Roach Roach is ready to sell out anyway, but he has Roach a hal- doesn't have a possession scene, straight right, up. Right, right. But he does have a sort of deal with the devil scene, uh, which is great. He uh, Billy Zane approaches him sort of at at this warded threshold and uh by kind uh, of Ro- like cha chaing up the stairs. I like right, yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. Scene. I was kinda of like, Hello <laughs> and um, he has to, the first thing he has to do is take down the ward. So he opens his mouth and a giant sponge just kind of appears as if like a like a card trick with your mouth. But also the sponge looks like your tongue. Also, like it like, is a sight to behold. It is. It's one of the wildest things I've ever seen. I I I glee. I clapped with glee when it happened and rewound and watched again. It's a mm-hmm. super neat trick and it looks like a practical effect. Yeah. Yeah. Billy I mean, Zane. I don't know. I don't know how holding, else they would do holding it. Holding a holding a sponge in his, I, I assume, perfectly smooth, <laughs> slick mouth. His mouth, his the, uh, the roof of his mouth has no ridges. It's just it's, it's completely just smooth, smooth, just like the whole rest of his body. <laughs> I'm gonna make a gif of it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it needs to be gifted. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't even he does not want to possess Roach. I get the sense that the possession is really more about convincing convincing people who will not just outright betray their friends but he doesn't he knows that roach is willing to do that so he's just like all right we'll make the deal and then allows the demons to rip roach apart yes Um, it's one of those one of those oh and the deal i lied the demons which i think kind of look like a weird cross between the predator and the crypt keeper himself to me they looked like demogorgons plus the crypt creeper yeah, yeah, that, sure. Yeah, yeah, because they have those weird stubby tails, like tadpoles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and they have like yeah. Also, more more recent rough Stranger Things. Excuse me. <laughs> See anything? Uh, anything else? The that only you one think we got is... left is Danny. Hey, oh, Mister, yeah. you trying to steal my dad's car? We didn't, we didn't even talk about him. Yeah. So Danny's this kid who they sort of find halfway through it. He has terrible long hair. He gets possessed by reading a horror comic book, a Tales from the Crypt comic, which it turns out is the story of what's happening around him, which is kind of cool and creepy. I loved that effect. I thought that that yeah. was really, really cool. Um, yeah. 
because as 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 the attack is happening, you see half of it happening in real time right. and then half see, of it yeah. happening within the comic. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that and cool. I, I liked it. I thought that it sort of, you know, this this movie definitely operates as sort of like a primordial story or like an old story. Like it's sort of timeless. Like you kind of know what time period it is only because of the rise on uh, on uh, Pinkett Smith's pants. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the only way that you know this is the 90s, Yeah, I would say. Otherwise, this could take place almost in sort of that, which is actually very classic Tales from the Crypt, time yes, period where of... you're like, well, like cars have been invented. Right, right. World War II has probably happened yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Te- yeah. Telephone, like cor- a cordless phone is a thing, probably, but maybe right. not like the only thing. Like, there's yeah. definitely still rotary phones floating around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, so I kind of liked that we had this, like, kind of callback to, like, the ancient text, which, for this, is the Crypt Keeper's book, which is a bunch of comic books, right? Yeah. So yeah. you see you see that this, the, this story has already been written. The outcome of this story has already been determined. We are, we are merely watching the... The f- events unfold. I enjoyed that. I thought that that tied in beautifully with sort of a larger theme of it, which is sort of this like endless, endless battle between good and evil uh-huh. playing out, playing out among like kind of regular, ordinary people. So this, this seems like the kind of movie that would be like perfect for a 12 year old boy. A lot of good practical gore. There's a few shots of nudity, um, but not anything too serious. And, uh, you know, the story kind of follow along uh, what, what's supposed to happen. Given that, this has a surprising amount of, like, internal mythology and story and backstory. Uh, because we find out that demons have always existed. They're what existed in the dark that existed before God created light and dark. And we find out that these demons have seven keys, seven cosmic keys that control all of power. Yeah, like all of the world, like everything. Cosmic power. They don't really expand on it beyond that. It's let's they're basically okay, they're basically the infinity stones. And so God scatters them to the seven winds. They're scattered throughout all of the cosmos, maybe? Yeah, because there's only one key on Earth. They make that clear. Right. And so and so then fast forward several several millennia, and now the demons have all have six of the seven keys. And God decides to intervene and fills one of the keys with the blood of a carpenter who's being crucified. Who is Jesus? And we see flashbacks to that. And a thief whose name is... um, Isn't that Cypher? (laughs) Yes, Saphir or something. Saphir. Yeah. becomes the bearer of this key, becomes the first demon knight, and it's his job to keep the demons from getting this key. And the idea, I guess, is that if the demons get the key, they can control the cosmos, and it's game over for everyone. So, number one, demon knight, way to just just, just completely flip the bird to Milton and, and all of the established demonology we know about. But also, so, biblical God and the creation is at least kind of literally true. Is Jesus not God? Is he just some rando guy? Like the way the way Bill Sadler talks about it kind of sounds like, it. oh, and by the way, Bill Sadler is the current demon knight. He became the demon knight in 1917 
um, when like his commanding officer died in the trenches in France um, and, and passed during the World key War on I. to him during World War One. And when you're a demon knight, when you die, you get to refill the blood that's in the bottle attached to this key. Um, it, I, I guess it's like your last. So in there is like Jesus's blood, but also the blood of all the other demon knights, maybe a little bit. They um, don't ever say outright that it's Jesus's blood, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, blasphemy. It's a little, yeah. Again, it's like, it, like it's, they it's, dance around it a little. It's bit. sort of, sort of odd. Um, and then you get this creepy tattoo of the stars that move around on your hand, and it's never really explained what it shows, but it would seem to kind of like let you know when the stars align or. Well, when... it's like it's letting. I think it's supposed to be sort of like a like a carbon monoxide detector, like. Yeah. Like once if if you're in the danger zone, if you're in a space that has seven appropriate people and you have the key and the collector is nearby and it's yes. nighttime and everything is like lined up in the cosmos, then your hand starts to glow. Yeah. And we're given to understand that the demon is right. The collector is this demon that chases him. There, there only seems to be one um, who is chasing him. We only ever see one. Perfectly smooth boy, Billy Zane. But um, uh that 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 seems to sort of be the established mythology, such as it is. Yeah, I think you have one protector and one chaser. That right. seems fair. That seems right. I it, don't know. It's, it's it's cool. It's and it's cool. And I think what you point out is awesome. That that the collector is polished and cartoony and weird, and the and the the immortal demon, whereas the mortal human gets more and more ragged as he keeps you know sort of running from the collector forever. Yeah. Um. One thing that I thought was hilarious is so when. The cops initially get to the motel and they talk to Breaker. Um, they sort of like they, they like get his ID and uh, the chief says something like, you know, we ran it through the computer in the car. Frank Breaker died five years ago. And you're like, oh, snap. OK, so, you know, this guy's like using stolen identities and stuff. Fine. But in 1917, in the mud in France, the his commanding officer says something like, you know, Breaker, it's you're the you're the chosen one now. So his name is Breaker. So, did the did the did the chief re- actually realize? Huh, Frank Breaker died five years ago. He also was a hundred and three. <laughs> I don't know, man. Frank, I Frank, don't know. Frank Frank Frank, Bra- Frank Breaker is a World War Two one veteran that ended seventy three years ago. Here's what I have to say: This is not Home Alone. It's not an ironclad, watertight movie that you can sail across the Atlantic in. There are holes. You're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No. But and it's woolly and it's a mess. There's also the weird thing we get the idea that the fact that Breaker is here with seven other people is like a, a sort is of, a problem, right? It it, it it sort of means that he can die. But I, I I like that they don't over explain that. I like that you're just sort of there are these sort of weird occult truths and things align. He thought he was safe because there weren't seven people there, but it turns out there were. So and now, it makes you know, sense when the co- two cops show up, his other hand, li- like the last star yeah, on his yeah, hand lights right, up. Right, it does all, work. All, yeah, so I think yeah. I think it's sort of like they need seven sacrifices. He needs to like a lot. He because or at of least his six, actions, I guess. Or six and him nope. seven. OK, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Well, no, no, no. He is eight, actually. Right. If you count right. this up, if you count up the number of deaths, he but, is number eight. So it has right, you have to have right. seven people who but are not she, him. But he also kind of implies to to Geraldine that that if she she's the last of the seven which means she's chosen i don't know who cares it's well i think the point is that like you need seven yeah, yeah. people it's like weird it's like weird numerology and these people have to right right so either yeah. those seven people die and then the collector or the uh the demonite escapes or 
the demon knight dies, he's the seventh death, and then the other person picks it up. But your real problem happens if the demon knight is killed and then all seven of those people die. Then then we've really we've right. really screwed the pooch on this one. Right. There's other cool stuff. Zane can't touch the key because it it has the blood attached to it, you know? And so uh, there's this great part at the beginning <laughs> where uh, he gets the cops to pick it up and he's like, oh, look at that. He's put something awful in there. Why don't you just dump it? Just pour that out. <laughs> and it works, which is something that yeah. you and I, I remember seeing this. Do we watch this on television? Uh, maybe. How did yeah, we, probably. How, how else we, would we have seen it? How else would we have seen it? Did we have this on DVD for a while? Well, I, I definitely gave it to you on DVD as a gift later, like in college. But I don't think. I, that, that probably wasn't the first time we saw it, though. I probably gave it to you because it was funny and we, we had seen it before. Yeah. But, I don't know But yeah, that was that, that became a family catchphrase for us. You put no, something put awful, some awful in there. there. Put something awful in there. Because I think if that happened, you'd be like, I'm sorry, pardon me? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Why do I want to dump that out at my feet? Um, you, okay. I, 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 oh, man. This just also makes me think there's another great thing that, that the collector says where he says, you humans aren't worth the flesh you're printed on. I like that part. That's when he was complaining about his about his cowboy uh, disguise, which yes. after we see the new collector at the end, I guess is like their go to. Yeah. You know, just the way it is. Yeah. Um, so I get a sense that some of this like methy, messy, meth- bleh, messy mythology kind of bugs you a little bit like you like some of it's OK, but like I think that it, it, it actively distracted from your enjoyment of the film. Uh, I mean, a little bit. I don't I, I don't dislike it. It's 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 in sort of a weird middle ground where there's like a lot of explanation. Um, and it, it, it seems kind of either um, or like their stuff like they're holed up at the church and and and, and uh, you know, breakers like don't, we can't go outside. We can't escape. They're like, we should make a run for it. And he's like, no. And it's not clear why, and he's, it just kind of seems like he's being a jerk. You know, if they were vampires out there, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're waiting for it to be daylight, and then they can go. So we don't we don't come in with any information, and we don't have, so. But then they they, they want to explain all this stuff to you, which is fine and and, and it's kind of interesting. But it it makes it sort of woolly and all over the place because then you're like worried about like then you're thinking about things like well the seven people like is that a you know instead of just being like I'm just gonna go with it yeah shooting demons in the eyes it kills them sure whatever yeah I would agree I would agree that's sort of weird I just I guess I actually just don't really mind it I feel yeah, no, like I, I, I don't I don't mind it either it's just like one of those things that was sort of an odd it seems like an odd choice like why why did you leave this in yeah I feel like kind of the reason so my interpretation of this actually and and the the uncle Willie line about uh about God doing some thinking and wondering if he should have just left it all to the monkeys um I think is supposed to kind of set us up to think to to put us in mind of like kind of an old primordial god like yeah yeah definitely not, like mean old testament god yeah like not not new jack guitar mask god we're talking about like we're talking about like scary gods like gods that Chris- live gods that live on top of mountains and things like that what all um, you gnostic heretics would call the demiurge but like before religion before the wheel before all that stuff um, and then, so even like this old boarding house being an old church supports that it's like kind of this weird, this weird space that is like, that is anointed, but it's not, it's not actively being used as anything we'd really recognize. Even the concept of a boarding house is very old timey, you know, yeah, definitely, you're definitely. kind of displaced. And then I think that the messiness is just sort of like, we just took the old Testament and we ran it through a dime store Western. And this is what spat out the end. I mean, and, sort of. 
yeah, so I, I don't know, like, but like, they don't have to be like weird chthonic entities that have existed before time. Well, totally, totally. Uh, there think... don't have to be seven keys. Like, it, it, like, right? It's only important that there's this one key because the other ones apparently were like got at some point in the past. I think that that's important though because for whatever reason, it feels a lot more risky to be like, and this yeah, is the, the last. last key. This is yeah, the last the only one. Key. They've yeah. gotten every other time they've tried to get these keys they have been successful and now we are the last it like it it further amplifies the siege of it all where it's like we are the yeah, last yeah. thing standing between sure destruction and and, and evil mm-hmm. and darkness eating up everything not only in our world but in many other worlds so i actually yeah, think yeah. that that's good i think that what's weird about it is sort of in the hopes of making this sort of they want to like call on religious imagery, certainly. I mean, we like basically see like all of the crucifixion, right? Yeah. Over yeah. the course in flashbacks. But like they kind of do that just to be like, you know what this is. This is something like Christian Christian imagery. You like, you guys understand this. This is fine. Like, you get it. But this is like this is pre-religion to me. It's sort of like trying to like blow it out so that this is a little bit more of like um yeah, like like uh, like, oh man, what am I thinking? Like Paradise Lostian versus versus like like a Bible story, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do. You think it was weird that this whole thing takes place at a church, but there's never really any like it just happens to be in a church. Like there, there's never anything where they're like this is holy ground, or they don't find like a cache of holy water, or like it basically is just like ambiance that they are that, that that this building they're in just happens to have been a church at, at some point i think though that that's very representative of the people who occupy that space and that these are like so of course like the concept of like these are the last this is the last this is the last stand you know against something and we don't have we don't even begin to have the right players for it like it's like the mm-hmm. bad news bears kind of thing where it's like we are the thing that's going to save the world. Also, like, you would never pick us in a million years to do this job because we are, we're like a bunch of small town, like, hicks who are deeply flawed people. So I think kind of like having, like, you know, uh, like sex workers and criminals and all these people up in the church sort of, mm-hmm. sort of takes you to a place where you're thinking about, like, the laws of man are kind of like not as important here. Like this is not a moral story, which we'll get into when we talk more. I think about is this a tales from the crypt story, but like yeah, yeah. the, the morals of man are so, so is flea bitten and itty bitty compared to what this story is that yeah. like having it be in like an unconsecrated church, like, right. It's consecrated ground, but now it's getting like filthed up by a bunch of, by a bunch of low lives. I don't know. I th- to me that made a lot of sense, and I didn't really. I think I would have been more disappointed if it was like, and then the church saved them because I don't think religion is supposed to be the savior here. I mean, yeah, sort of, except that like literally Jesus's blood is the only thing that can kill these demons. Right, right, but like, <laughs> but like, not not like consecrated holy water done by a priest. Like Jesus's oh, blood, sure. like it's that it's that like primal and like yeah. down to earth. It's not. The laws of man, I kept coming back to this idea of like the laws of man don't hold here. And that's why I think you have sort of this whole story hinging on drifters and thieves and people who are like kind of on the very, very edge of society. Society has pushed them out because they don't. 
they don't conform to our rules and they don't they don't fit with the rest of us but they're actually holding the middle together like they are they are what keep they are what keeps the darkness at bay and i think that that's like that's like good like kind of like pulpy pseudo deep mythology and I, i like that a lot i liked it i thought it was like a cool idea it's it's interesting that you bring this up. The, the in, uh, I was reading about it some of the in some of the uh, earlier drafts uh, for this. The they originally didn't want um, they they originally they wanted to cast a uh, a black actor as Breaker with the idea of we, we kind of getting to this the idea of like oppressed people being the ones who protect the world. Um, also, in some uh, uh, of the earlier scripts, the devil or the collector was supposed to look like a Bible salesman. And his uh, his demons weren't supposed to be hideous monsters, but instead were supposed to kind of look like, I guess, other Bible salesmen. So like a bunch of guys in like hats and suits and ties. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, those neither of those really came to pass. But I think that that uh, at least the the first one sort of speaks to that. And then, then I think also if you could imagine this idea of a even more diverse cast um, uh, fighting off fighting off guys who are white men in suits um, that, that may may drive home. A little bit of that point more. If this was made now, that would be that would be beautiful. Like Jordan Peele should make that movie. Mm-hmm. I also think that there's a little bit of the DNA of that in certain other imagery in the movie, like, um, like that scene where so uh, it's after uh, Bill Sadler is dead, and mm-hmm. um, Geraldine is hiding, and the collector comes up basically to be like, "I'm going to take this away from you, like take yeah. this key from you," and she's cover she's stripped down and she's covered in blood from head to toe she's she had like a white undershirt and white underpants and white socks on and they're like just completely red now and he grabs her and it turns out that she just coated herself in bill sadler's blood because that's the thing that he can't touch Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so then he grabs her in this plastic shower curtain and throws her in the bathtub and like just starts like spraying her down and is like cleanliness is next to godliness and is like rinsing her off. I was like, ooh, this is like a weird unholy baptism scene. And she's like kind of like screaming and struggling against him and he's like washing washing her clean, washing the sins of man clean, right? Like Jesus also- dying for us is the original is is like what took the sin away from the world. I thought it was really cool, especially if you consider the fact that you have these, like, deeply, again, once again, deeply flawed people on the edge of society told that they are not, they are not what we need when actually they're the ones protecting us. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was, like, cool imagery and would probably have even worked even better if you had followed this sort of, like, Bible salesman, creepy... Oh, yeah, sure. Southern Baptist kind of, like... Mythology. Yeah, that would, yeah, yeah, that would have been more. It would have been. It would have also made it more sort of southern gothicy for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, but did you? The, what did the, you the think thing, of that the, scene? The, the, oh, I like. Oh, I think it's. I think that it is also played f- pretty much perfectly. Um, you neglected to mention that she is, of course, also on top of the somewhat decapitated body of the of the police chief when he's oh, that's in, right. the, in the tub. Yeah. Um, I also he all, also um, Billy Zane is using is, is saying kind of go, like kind of goofy or cleanliness next to godliness sort of thing, which keeps it from being like like frankly too rapey. Um, I think it makes it a little bit less upsetting and weird. You know what I mean? I, that that could be a really upsetting kind of image. Um, that I think uh, they they, well, I they, think they, just, they they play it just right. They push it in a they push it in a direction where it's not too upsetting, which I think yeah, is yeah. actually honestly makes or breaks whether or not a tales from the crypt episode is is like very um 
is uh, effective or not. Like one of the issues you and I had with Collection Complete is that we think that you could have pushed the final scene of that dead guy a little further. Yeah. And instead they make it too comfortable for you. It depends on how unsafe Tales from the Crypt is going to like keep you. And you expect it's sort of like it's sort of like you're like at a climbing gym. Like you have someone who's belaying you. They're going to catch you. You're going to be fine. You're not going to see anything that's like going to keep you up all night. But you do kind of want to toe the line a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I think that what is really another really good thing about Billy Zane's performance is that it does toe that line so perfectly. You know he's in total control. You know he's not gonna like he's not gonna like go to a spot where it's gonna haunt you or trigger you or make you upset. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna like make you uncomfortable. It's gonna be like it's gonna be an uncomfortable thing to watch. It's uncomfortable to watch him rinsing her off and her thrashing around on that plastic shower curtain. But it's not it's not so unpalatable that you cannot continue. Just goes mm-hmm. up to that line. Yeah. Without crossing it. And she 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 gets gets a little swig of the blood too at that point, which I think is cool that they show that because you then kind of know what's coming. It's not like some sort of stupid, you know, reverse reveal that you didn't know. Well, and she looks like she's holding it in her mouth the yeah, whole yeah. time. Yeah, and I I think that the he then gets another music video moment where he's sort of dancing with her and then trying to he wants to so now that he's won he has the key. Uh, he wants to turn her because no one's ever turned a demon knight. He wants her to like give her give him her soul but they're doing it in sort of a funny lit flash dance kind of like dancing together and he keeps wanting to be like Geraldine I you and maybe if you could me and so it's like one like the like shitty boyfriend thing of like he can't say love but also this this gets to the whole there has to be seven or like he can't like he's a massively powerful person but he can't you know cross the blood barrier or whatever like these these demons are bound by like funny legalistic stuff by which I assume he probably just can't say love like it's it's a it's a it's a concept too good and holy for him to right, right. can't it's, even it's, say it it can't be held in the mouth of the lying prince sort of, yeah you know? it's in like it's in the it's in the realm of the light so he can't he can't get into it with her yeah 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 I like that a lot um I mean yeah 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 it's kind of great and she spits blood in his face and he burns up. And then we reveal that his he like reverts to his true form while he's burning up. So they didn't have to actually make like a big a big demon costume, but they did have a demon skeleton that they torched, which was both cool and uh, probably budgetarily wise. Yeah, no, good for them. Um, another kind of cool thing along the lines of of like what brings you down? Who, who are who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? I do think it's very intentional. That that Danny is Danny is the one that kills Bill Sadler's character, kills Breaker. Mm -hmm. You have he's like the one innocent throughout the entire story. And he is the one who is finally corrupted and like and kills the demon knight. He's the only one that can get close enough. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Zane and Sadler really don't fight. Nope. Except, I mean, sort of at the beginning, there's like some some sparring, but they never you never get that big fight. And it's cool that Geraldine gets that big fight because up to up, I would say up to that point, she's clearly a protagonist. But it's, I don't think it's super clear that she is definitely, definitely, definitely the main protagonist. It's cool. Yeah, no, it, the, the they literally show you the, the changing of the guard mm-hmm. yeah, between the two knights, mm-hmm. as in Knigget's. <laughs> as knights would do at night. It was confusing. I was like, wait, is Zane the demon knight? He is a demon, but is he a knight? Uh, Sadler keeps with the thing, too. I was thinking about um, Breaker with not, not telling people things that would be important to know. Like, at no point does he say, hey, by the way, 
Uh, Billy Zane's going to try to like get in your head and get you to make deals, but like, don't do it for God's sake. It's a real bad idea. Right. He, he never says that. He also doesn't seem to tell Geraldine that when he dies, all the wards like like are dispelled. That would have been a very helpful <laughs> that, thing that for him to quite tell helpful her. There's also something that I noticed that was weird where, so the little boy gets possessed and um, while they're up in this tower and it's just him and Sadler and uh, and Jada Pinkett and they, um, and he, he like, when, when they get possessed, they turn into monsters and he, so he, he fights Bill Sadler, he kills him. And then um, Jada Pinkett Smith sort of like kicks him out a window that has the ward on it and he blows up and explodes. So like presumably they can't cross the ward is dangerous for these possessed individuals too. Which does make me wonder, so what was the plan when Zane was possessing these people inside the house or inside the church to get the key if they can't get out either? Well, I think I assume I was, that... Do they like kamikaze out and he's hoping the key like gets blown out with them? I assume that what he's saying, what he's going to do is that they also have that sponge trick ability and that they can mop up the thing before they exit. You think so? Maybe. I mean, or maybe they'll like. But, a but Swiffer... like, why doesn't he have his like toady demons do it then? Like, or maybe like a Swiffer wet jet. I don't know. Who knows? To quote, to quote Billy Zane. I know. Who makes up all these rules? <laughs> I did think about that when I was thinking about like how how much of the mythology is is a total mess. I did like that he was like, I know. Who makes up all these rules? I was like, yeah. I. You know what? It doesn't really matter. I'm still really enjoying no, no. this film. And, it's no, fine. No, and it and, and and even though um I. I like that it is a mess uh, because I think it speaks to like all these weird um, like the way weird superstitions and the way like uh, sort of authentic paranormal the occult sort of works where they're just kind of like, yeah, like you put a nail in the witch's, witch's footprint and she can't move. Like why? Well, you know, it's just like the way it, it is. Just is. And, you know, pe- yeah. Yeah. Like the vampire, you have to invite them into your house like you just have to like that. Why can't they do it? I don't know. They just can't. It, it, it has that sort of it feels it's good because it feels authentic and weird because it, it seems real arbitrary, but but sure, ironclad, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this uh, so this film is 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 branded Tales from the Crypt. Um, and what I was gonna ask is, what do you, what do you think of, when you hear Tales from the Crypt movie? What do you think that means? Um, well, you know, what does it imply to you? Yeah. Well, I thought about this a lot because on the one hand, I don't think this definitely breaks the pattern of a traditional Tales from the Crypt episode. There's no morality here apart from the fact that, like, we don't want the demons to win. We want the people to win. But then, you know, generally, if someone was a thief in a Tales from the Crypt episode something bad would happen to them. Like it has pretty, it has, or there pretty would be some weird, some weird, possibly twist. stupid, ironic twist. would happen. Yeah. Like, or that, or they'd be like, and Gerald and Geraldine, if you had remained free of sin, you wouldn't have to be the demon knight, but because you are a thief, you are destined to be, you know what I mean? Like there'd be something where it would be like, because you did this thing, this is your fate. And it's a fate that you wouldn't prefer. Right. You also, know, yeah. Also, these um, these these the the stakes here are super high, right? These these are cosmic keys that control, like like literal hell on earth is the state. You know, is what will happen if I feel like Tales from the Crypt usually keeps it a little bit more personal and lower stakes than that. Yeah, at know. least at least like is, closer. Like, is the evil number... Santa gonna cu- cut that woman up or not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the number of affected people for like the bad thing that's gonna happen is usually is countable on both hands. Like, right. usually you don't really have like the whole the whole cosmos. Um, and and there's no real like, 
there's no real look at really weird people. I feel like there's that's another like really classic thing of uh, Tales from the Crypt where it's like, let's just take a good juicy look at these macabre people, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, despite, we, despite being packed with the character actors, there's not a lot of like no, they're unhinged pretty... or weird grotesque no, performances or anything. Yeah. I mean, basically the only person that you think is like like a slime ball uh, is Roach. Basically, mm-hmm. and he immediately he immediately gets his punishment, like immediately it's doled out. But it it doesn't have the same flavor. So on the one hand, that doesn't feel like Tales from the Crypt. But on the other hand, it all feels much like larger and more complex, which would fit with making something that is short form into a longer form piece. Right. And, and, and let's both just agree. I think it's bold and the correct choice that if you're going to make a Tales from the Crypt movie, that they don't make it into an anthology movie. Because what they what they originally did basically was say, hey, you know, those anthology horror movies, what if those were just like a series of TV shows? So instead of like cramming, you know, four or five episodes together and pretending that that's a movie, um, I think it was it is the right choice to go long form with it. Yeah, it feels also the only thing I can compare this to. And another reason it really threw me that this was like released in theaters is this feels like a Disney Channel original movie to me. <laughs> like. Yeah. It all, has, all, all those practical effects and, and, and hookers and stuff. Well, it has that. No, it has that like flavor where like all the players are people that could carry their own like episode or like TV show of a Disney Channel original program. But for whatever reason, the story we have to tell is like large enough to be able to be like held in a movie, but small enough to not need many seasons. So now we're just making it into a movie. Like right, right, like, and, and it's about ninety minutes. And... It's about ninety minutes. The production, like, the, there are usually some splashy, like, it's impressively done. It's like it's like very polished for television. <laughs> right, right. It's this, this... not up to the standards of like a Fast Furious movie. You know, yeah. like it's not yeah. big budget. Although I will say I love the how gooey the pra- the practical effects in this are great. There's a lot of good there's a lot of good squib and uh, and goo work. Did you notice Did you notice how many times there are people diving in obvious harnesses though? There's like a half dozen times of people like kind of weirdly diving, and you're like, oh, he's wearing a flying harness. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's really funny. There's also a great scene where um, the first time uh, Billy Zane gets burned with the blood when he tries to grab Geraldine. He then jumps down the stairs wearing a flying harness. He jumps through this hatch like head first, like he's like he's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was weird. <laughs> it's, really it's, weird. It's, it's like it's just such an unnatural way for a human to move. You're like, oh, I know what that is. No one dives like that. <laughs> no one does that. Um, but it's also not played as if it's like like it's not like oh, it's so unnatural. That means he's demonic. It's just yeah, cartoony. No, 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 no. It's just cartoony. It's just it's exactly what his character would do. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's because he's so smooth. He's a smooth mm-hmm. boy. Um, I, yeah. I, I, so I like this movie. I um, I don't know if I think it's super Tales from the Crypty, but then you get into like, what does that even mean? It doesn't, it do, certainly doesn't fit sort of the blueprint as you have laid out. It is like a movie that's kind of scary, but also has some immature humor in it and a sort of PG-13 sort of sensibility to it. Um, it has... It's a, it it's, has it's, all the tonal structure of a tale. Like, it is the yeah, right amount yeah. of scary. It's, it's perfect. Right... It's perfect for preteens to watch at night. It's fine. It's like it's like a party. It's like a party yeah, movie. It's a like, I could movie. see. Yeah. Yeah. I could see having some people over to the house, making some popcorn and watching this movie. And we'd have a really good time with it. Like, it's a fun movie to watch. And 
yeah, and I, I think it also like relate relies heavily on um, the people who are in it to carry it through, which is I think mm-hmm. is very true of the of the of the TV show as well. Like, I, I I would say though that this doesn't sort of weirdly um, when we were getting ready to talk about this, um, I find some of the episodes we've watched so far are sort of more thematically rich in terms of having something to say than this movie is. This movie is just like a popcorn movie, um, and uh, when, you know when 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 you revisit the series and you're kind of um, you're sort of amazed by how how good and not exactly what you're expecting some of the episodes we've watched so far were um, the man who would be death and things like that this doesn't have any of that this, this is this is more um more more right down the middle sort of workman like uh and, and i think that's fine um i think it's also tricky because you have a tv series that uses sort of hollywood tricks to make a tv series that 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 kind of looks like a movie but then you make like a, you know, kind of mid to low budget movie that looks like a mid to low budget movie and mid to low budget horror movies are definitely a thing. So it's it's in a more crowded marketplace. It's harder for it to dist- distinguish itself. Um, also, I would point out this came out in, in 95, I believe, which is right in the middle of like horror movies just being no good at all. You know, um, the 80s slasher boom is over. Scream doesn't come out for another two years. Um, Dust Till Dawn doesn't come out until a year later. Um, I, I kept thinking, actually, when watching this, I was like, this this movie's kind of like Dusk Till Dawn, but maybe not quite as good. <laughs> another another, se- another movie that turns into a siege movie. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. But just as I kind of considering its time and place and everything. So I think that it was inevitable that they would, with, with as big as the franchise was, that they would decide to make a movie. I think that they did, they made the right choice in terms of doing uh, a long form movie. I don't know. I don't really know why they didn't just find a particularly good episode script and see if they could kind of blow it out into a into a full movie. I don't know why they went with like old stuff, but you know, stuff that's been flying around for a while. But I, I think this is. I think this is fun. Um, I don't think it's going to win any like awards, or you're you're not like man. Aside from wondering like how Billy Zane got his head so so smooth, um, you're not you're not is walking it like around Bick or being what? like yeah. Or Does like he wax chemicals? Probably yeah. Nair. Probably. I don't know. He probably probably removes the, the the first cell of his epidermis just completely off. <laughs> Is it a chemical peel? <laughs> He's in <laughs> constant pain, utter utter agony. Throughout. His head is on fire. Um. <laughs> what if he was full method on the set the whole time? He just basically is sort of <laughs> sort of acting like a cartoon character. I am chewing on that on what you said about how like thematically rich. I wonder if it almost is the fact that it's a longer format. Like if I think about. Like if I think about in like an average episode of oh, let's say, uh, let's say Kim Possible going back to Disney, mm-hmm. like right, like Kim Possible has twenty minutes to tell you a little moral about growing up. Like mm-hmm. you should be a good friend, and yeah. so they have to hit those notes pretty hard for you to get that in twenty minutes. You have to have like someone establish a friendship, someone does something that betrays that friendship, and then you have. A healing moment where the friendship is reformed, right? And then you return to base. That's like right. every episode of like kind of a low stakes sitcom, right? Sure, sure, sure. So in twenty minutes, you have to like hit those narrative arcs pretty hard, and you need to have like narrative beats that like anybody could graph out for you on a piece of paper, right? Sure, sure. But like xenon. <laughs> example has to have more like fluff because it's just longer and so like yeah I mean, you she's have... the supernova girl what do you want from her right like the supernova girl needs to like 
<laughs> like also have that where she's like not that good of a friend to Raven, her best friend. And yeah. then at the end, she like lets Raven dance with Protozoa as opposed to herself. On but the like, space day. On the space day, but she also has to like fall in love and realize uh, that that Judy, that Bobo Judy Greer, who's her aunt, is like actually okay, and also get over her incredible xenophobia about space stations versus Earth. Like, there's just she's she's basically a future racist. Yeah, there's just like more there, which I think just sort of like muddies up. And if you really think about it, woolly, yeah, yeah, right. Well, you think about it, you're like, and none of those things really have to do with sort of like one of the big central like bedrock themes, which is like Xenon needs to grow up and realize that other people have feelings, right? Like they kind of all do, but they kind of all don't. They're all like taken into like wildly different directions. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just like that. Like, I think that you can't, you can't compare, like the two do not compare perfectly because everything else is sort of like, is sort of like a, like a creative writing, writing prompt versus Mm -hmm. Versus something where it's like the first draft of your novel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think it speaks to varying quality too. You know, we not 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 every episode, not every episode is gold. You remember the good episodes? Not every movie is gold, and and movies don't have to be thematically. You, you know, this movie doesn't have to be this this movie. You could imagine a version of this movie we kind of even talked about it that that really like strikes, like really hits, really punches the oppressed people of the world are the only people who can save the world you know sort of if you really I mean, really want to i want to really see that movie punch that yeah it would be a, it would just be a different kind of movie um i just just that i just think that um what you ultimately have is something that's competing in a relatively more crowded marketplace like a you know a mid to low budget effect heavy um splattery horror movie is not is is not quite as unique as uh bill sadler addressing the camera talking about the death penalty for for 20 minutes <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah, that's that's all. You know, just the kind of thing. But so at the end, when at the end, like the the the, the wrap around with the crypt keeper, he gets out of the limousine with the sexy ladies, and then he's he's being photographed, and then it turns out they're going to put him in the guillotine. So he's in the guillotine, and they cut his head off, and he says, "Now that's what I call entertainment." Like, how does how does that pun work? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> don't know what that means like i mean it's just sort of like no i get it you you said words that are wrong but i think we maybe need to it's turn like this over entertainment to the... no but he says entertainment i tr- i had the subtitles on so i could know what does that mean no i know like so if anybody in the in the crypt creeper nation wants to reach out to us i would be I, delighted I frankly, I frankly was baffled by the intro and the outros for this episode yeah like this episode fra- yeah. this this film <laughs> take a I drink was baffled <laughs> Take it right. I was baffled. Like I did not like them. Yeah. I, I thought that they. I thought that they t- fully took me out because the yeah. end of the movie is so cool with like Geraldine full Ripley mode. She's got her cat in a carrier. She's saved her cat. She's getting on a bus. She's the last. She's the only person to make it out of the house alive. She gets on a bus. She seals the entrance to that bus with like kind of a lot of that blood. I was like, man, that's gonna last her like maybe a week. Yeah, she'll, she'll be like a demon knight for like ten days. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe there's maybe they do a little like bleeding out. Maybe she like tops it off occasionally. Yeah, if if they could do that though, that 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 that, that, that really changes the stakes, doesn't it? If it it's does. Just sort also, of like, this is as much blood as you choose to put in here versus this is all the blood you will ever have. Maybe it's like a four hundred one k in that way. Like <laughs> like we'll match it up to a certain point, but at some point it's just going to be your blood. There's probably also a lot of really elaborate backstory involving the hand tattoos that the hand tattoos tell you when you're allowed. to. Fill up your blood, your blood flask. 
<laughs> it's like a contribution period that opens right, right. up we, we, we quarterly. Just sort of, it's just got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, it's just not. You just can't. But so she seals up the the entrance uh, to the, her bus. She's sitting on it, kind of like an old mm-hmm. school uh, chrome Greyhound bus. Yeah. And it pulls up to a next stop, and she sees um, another formidable man with a briefcase waiting for the bus, yeah, wearing a, a wearing a duster and a cowboy hat. And he Look, says, nah, yeah. I'll wait for the next one. And she knows that he's the new collector and he knows that she's the new drifter. And yeah. he watches as the bus drives away. And then he starts ca- calmly, casually walking behind it, whistling the Tales from the Crypt theme song. That's yeah. how it should have ended. Yeah, that would have been a great, great ending. Um, like, it, yeah, I yeah. hated the, uh, the outro because I was like, I don't need to see the Crypt Keeper again. That was yeah, the perfect yeah. ending of that movie. Roll credits. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. Well, and you feel like you need them to close it out or anything, but they could have done it in a less obnoxious way. Did your cut have the, um, uh, is it Big Easy or Dead Easy? Does Did your cut, so if you watched all the way through the credits on some cuts, my DVD copy had this. The Crypt Keeper then appears, Bugs Bunny or Porky Pig style. There's a little whoop, little window opens up and he says something like, hey, creeps. Stay tuned for for our next movie, Dead Easy. <laughs> so it features a plug for a movie that was never made. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, mine did as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty great. A little yes. great, little weird. Working title, Fat Tuesday. Uh, did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, it's fun. Um, uh, cer- certainly nostalgia plays a little bit of a role there. Um, I I enjoy it. I kind of enjoy that the story is a little bit of a woolly mess. Um, I, I, I love the performances. Um, I love Zane. I love his perfectly smooth head. And it makes me think a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> Whoa. But I would give this one, I give this one a solid three, three and a half out of five perfectly smooth bald heads. Beautiful. I liked it too. I think that this is a really fun party movie. I think that I like that it is a siege movie that like really goes for sort of a weird twist on mythology and, and like, um, Religion, it reminded me sort of of The Mist in that way, where you're like, in no way would I expect a, a weird siege movie about a boarding house to be about, like, original sin and God. Just mm-hmm. as you're like, in no way would I expect a siege movie taking place in a grocery store to be about H.P. Lovecraft. What? <laughs> like, it's just like, yes. it's fun. It's it 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 it. it lives it it exceeds my expectations in a way that i didn't even know i was setting expectations you know um so i enjoy that a lot about it i think that the the uh actors do a really beautiful job with a um script that i think i would like to at least think is left intentionally minimal so that they're just kind of allowed to go and do what they do best um and i think that like a lot of the practical effects are really good and like fun to watch they're not um it's not like uh it's not like a feast where it's just like an endless go- nasty gore fest constantly there's like humor there's there's practical effects that that like kind of gross you out but also bring you joy um so i gave this a three and a half out of five surprise mouth sponges uh-huh. You have excellent taste. You could have just said, I agree, storybooks. <laughs> <laughs> no. We have now wrapped up the first season of Tales from the Crypt, and we've done our first movie. So Thomas and I are going to take a little break to enjoy uh, the holidays with our family, um, including each other, which is crazy. Um And we will be back again with season two of Tales from the Crypt um, mid to late January. So we'll keep you in the loop. Thanks for listening to Crypt Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review us. Um, be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash cryptcreepers with a hyphen between the two words to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. Um, so we will we will talk to you again uh, on the other side of, uh, of 2019. So till next time, kitties, wishing you all a scary little Christmas and a bone snappy new year. <laughs> <laughs> An outrageous, An outrageous mechanisms, mechanisms production. production.